Well, life is filled with all sorts of mysteries that we participate with every single day, but we really don't question them. They're just there. I mean, think about the oceans. You know, we go to, you might go on vacation, you go to a beautiful beach and you enjoy looking at the ocean and but you don't even think about the tides and how they're affected by the, the cycles of the moon waxing and waning. You don't think about the enormous salt content that's in there and, and, and the currents and the tides. You know, it, it, they're amazing. They're a mystery. Or you look out into space. You see these vast amount of perfectly synchronized planets. The stars on display giving us the most accurate timepiece in all of existence. We don't think about that. We just look at them and we kind of enjoy it. Think about the the amount of electrons in your body, these small, minute particles. If you would take the amount of electrons that you have in your body and you just take that each electron and enlarge it to about the size of an apple, if you were able to do that, you have so many electrons that are working together within your body. If you proportionately made each one the size of an apple, you would be large enough to hold the Earth's universe in the palm of your hand. Isn't that amazing? What a mystery of how these things work. Not all mysteries, though, are, are so profound. There is the mystery of the checkout line. That no matter which line that you get into in the store, the, there's always the line next to it seems to be going faster. There's the mystery of the washing machine. You can put four pair of mashing socks into the washing machine, and an hour later, out come five socks, none of them match. There's the mystery of the mechanic. This one I fall into all the time. My car is making funny noises. You know, for two weeks you put up with it, finally you get an appointment, you take it to the mechanic and it doesn't make the sound anymore. And so you're stuck standing there making a fool of yourself trying to mimic the sound that the car is making. Well, there's hundreds of mysteries that we have, things that are unsolved in our lives every single day. But interestingly, when God leaves us with a mystery, you know, that if we can't figure it out, what, what, what are you doing, God? If we can't figure it out in a day or two or a week or two, Many of us us go through these desperate struggles believing that God is good and God is fair and, you know, what are you doing, God, and just accepting his working in our lives. We think it's unfair when God does mysterious stuff in our life. I mean, stuff that we don't understand. I mean, if we're going to trust a good God, shouldn't he do things that we understand and kind of bring us into the loop? Well, folks, the Bible that that you have before you does not present life in that way. Yet we often expect it. But if you look at the Bible, it is full of mysteries. Just a few of them. In Mark chapter 1, it talks about the mystery of the kingdom. In Romans chapter 11, you have the mystery of Israel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when it's talking about the resurrection, remember that beautiful verse where it says, Behold, I bring you a mystery. You shall not all... You know, you shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The resurrection, it's a a mystery. Ephesians contains four mysteries. It talks about the mystery of God's will, the mystery of the church, the bride of Christ, the mystery of marriage, the mystery of the gospel. In 2 Thessalonians, it talks about the mystery of lawlessness. 
1 Timothy 3, the mystery of, of godliness. God's word and God's working is full of mysteries. Why then should we be so surprised when we look at our own lives and we can't understand why something is happening to us? When we can't, you know, connect the dots to what God is doing in our life. Why does it make us question? Why does it make us doubt? Why do some people bail out from trusting God and venture off on their own power? I've got to take care of this, evidently. God's not doing anything about it. Since when is everything promised to be easily explained that God is doing in your life? Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, it says, it says this. It says, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the age of our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. You see, sometimes God's wisdom and working, it's a mystery to us. It is something that is hidden to us beyond our understanding. You know, God speaks in the realm of of, of a mysterious wisdom. A wisdom not based on human logic. And if we forget that, we kind of set ourselves up for trouble. It goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, and it says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? But even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit. Now, every once in a while, the spirit of God you know, may open up our minds and reveal to us what he's doing in our life or why something is going on. I mean, there's times when God's wisdom is understood by us and the situation that seemed unjust to us or maybe unfair, suddenly God will make sense of it and reveal what he is doing. God can do that. But if he doesn't, if God doesn't reveal a mystery to us, it doesn't make him any less God or change the faith that we're supposed to have in him. Now, with all of that as a backdrop, I want to take us back to the book of Ecclesiastes. And from here on out, we're kind of going to, we're not necessarily going to be going verse by verse through the rest of the book, um, but we're going to be taking sections, you know, from ch- uh, a chapter here, a chapter there, as we, we head towards the end of the book. And, and we come to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8 this morning, and we're going to kind of jump in around verse 10 and go down to about verse 17 or 18. Um, in, in this portion, Solomon is going to talk to us about two rather familiar mysteries that as we look out into the world, as we look out into humankind, um, they're just prevalent no matter what generation, no matter what age, that we have lived in. There's number one, there's the mystery of how the unjust triumph. The mystery of how the unjust triumph. And then secondly, he's going to talk about the mystery of unfair consequences. The mystery of unfair consequences. So, before we start looking at those two, I want to start with Solomon's conclusion of the matter concerning these things. Um, He says in verse 16 and 17, 
He says, when I gave my heart to know wisdom and to seek the task which has been done on earth, even though one should never sleep day or night, and I saw every work of God, here's the point, and I saw every work of God, I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. Even though man should seek laboriously, he will not discover. And though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. I mean, the large umbrella that covers all of the, these mysteries of, of life under the sun, of what life like is for us in the physical realm, all of these fall under the conclusion that Solomon says, we can't understand it. We, we are not going to know how this all fits together. I mean, Solomon gives us two perspectives that we need to realize concerning God's mystery and, and, and God's wisdom in exercising his sovereignty. First of all, the first thing he, he gives us perspective, he says we need to realize that God's mystery defies human explanation. You might stay up all night trying to understand a mystery, but all mysteries, unless they are revealed to us by God, all mysteries are beyond our human explanation of how all of these things are working today. The second thing he emphasized is, is God's mysteries go beyond our intellect and our wisdom. It's not just that, you know, we have a trouble discerning them or discovering them or putting them together, but those actual mysteries go beyond our abilities, our own intellect, our own wisdom. I mean, God is not fixed into working within our understanding. He's not fixed within our, our, minot, uh, our finite mind. But God goes far beyond what is humanly possible to understand. Sometimes we will never humanly understand what God is doing. You see, that's what makes God God and not us. All the human wisdom in the world cannot touch a mystery that he has planned unless he chooses to reveal it. So with that in mind, let's go back to those two mysteries that, that Solomon is going to try to address here in, in chapter 8. First of all, the mystery of why the unjumps just seem to triumph. In other words, you know, why do bad people seem to be getting ahead? Why does it seem the way, you know, I mean, we look in our, in, in our culture, it seems those who are doing wrong are prospering. <coughs> Excuse me. It says in verse 10, he says, So then I have seen the wicked buried, those who used to go in and out from the holy place, and they are soon forgotten in the city where they did thus. This, too, is futility. Now, I know we need to probably read that over and over and over again and a little bit slower to see how it's all put together. Um, I, I love, uh, you know, the, the Living Bible. The, it's, it's not a translation. It's an interpretation. But, but it kind of puts it in common vernacular for us. And I think it, it accurately states it. It says this. It says, I have seen the wicked buried. And as their friends returned from the cemetery, having forgotten all the dead man's evil deeds, those men, excuse me, those men, the dead man, were praised in the very city where they committed those many crimes. It says, how odd is that? I mean, I experience this all the time as a pastor. 
It is remarkable when I go to do a funeral service of, of someone who doesn't claim to know Christ as their Savior, had absolutely no time for God's people to go to God's house, to pick up God's word and to read it, to spend time talking to it, and never gave their life, their heart, to Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness of their sins. They have no part in that. But, but you know, as you're kind of going around the room, suddenly, you know, the, the room is filled with God talk. You know, talk about heaven and, and a better place that that person is. And, you know, they're only remembering, you know, the, the, the good things that they did, none of the bad things that they did. And all the, the man's evil deeds, they're forgotten. You know, only the, the good deeds are remembered. And, th- and this is pretty typical of what we do at funerals. Well, it's a mystery. How the unjust man under the sun seems to escape looking like a saint. Leaves this world looking like a saint. Nobody seems to remember. They're, they're, they're just all talk about, you know, that person in a better light. And to add to that mystery, he goes on in verse 11 and he says this. He says, because the sentence against the evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the son of men among them are given fully to do evil. Kind of coupling with that, he says that, you know, the same type of men who who do evil while they're alive, it seems like they're rarely punished for their evil. And even if they are punished, ultimately it seems to be it's a long time in coming, And the result of that in life under the sun is more evil happens, worse deeds happen. I mean, you think about our judicial system, living proof of this. Murderers, rapists, thieves. I mean, they're given life sentences only to serve a fraction of their time and and ultimately, you know, they're released, you know, back into life. It it doesn't seem fair. (laughs) Matter of fact, in a a smaller way, I, I remember... Uh, back when I was in high school, I, and I had just gotten my driver's license, along with just getting my driver's license, I also got my first ticket uh, for speeding. And so I had to go to court for that. And I went to the courthouse, and, you know, again, it was a small town, so we were just in the room, and there were just a couple people there. But one by one, the people went up, and the judge, you know, kind of, you know, read what they had done and, and kind of let them talk. Well, interestingly, the person before me, he was a man in his 20s. He was a, a known drinker, pretty much a known troublemaker uh, in the town. And he gets up there, and, and this judge is talking to him about his, the vandalism that his car caused and the property damage it caused. I mean, he begins to, to just so disrespect the judge. And in fact, he begins swearing, and he's shouting, he's arguing with the judge. And, and by the end, the judge ultimately kind of says that, you know, okay, you don't have to pay for the damages, but if you will write a letter apologizing to the homeowner, that, you know, that will be your punishment. So I'm thinking there, I'm sitting there, I mean, I'm a, ba- I'm a good kid, you know, clean cut. You know, I get up there, and I'm yes, sir, yes, sir. I'm being very respectful of them, and, uh, you know, I explain the circumstance. You know, there were no signs posted, all of this, you know, not an excuse, but just explaining the circumstances and just... He does nothing. He gives me the full fine, and he gives me the full punishment. You know, no leniency whatsoever. And we look at this life, and why does it seem, why does it seem that evil prospers while righteousness 
suffers. James Lowell once said, truth forever on a scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. And that seems to describe many areas of our society today. Evil comes away smelling like a rose, while those with morals, those righteous people, you know, look like the troublemakers today. Solomon sees another mystery he wants to address, the mystery of unfair consequences. These kind of are going, to, going hand in hand. But he goes on in verse 14, and he says this. He says, there is futility which is done on the earth. That is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this too is futility. Again, let me, let me read the Living Bible, you know, kind of how it helps us to understand that. It says, Providence seems to treat some good men as though they are wicked, and some wicked men as though they are good. In other words, it seems that wicked men, you think they, they're going to get their comeuppance, and they don't. They're rewarded for it. And then people who, who live a righteous life often suffer consequences for it. I remember the little ditty years ago. I'm not even sure where I got it from. You know, it, it goes, the, the rain, it raineth on the just and on the unjust fellow, but mostly on the just because the unjust stole his umbrella. And, and that's very true. And it seems like that's how life seems to go. You know, it's an age-old mystery. I mean, why is a courageous, godly missionary martyred? While you see other men around in our society, you know, running free, murderers running free. Why is a Christian family killed in a car accident while the drunk driver leaves totally uninjured? Why is it that criminals get rich on drugs and prostitution, illegal gambling, while you might be able to barely make ends meet? Well, it's a mystery. And it's a mystery that, you know, again, Solomon is identifying here. And I can't explain it. And the beauty of what Solomon is getting to is that I don't need to explain it. What he's calling us to is to trust in God's wisdom. That is so far beyond ours. That same wisdom that God has that let man release a robber while they crucified his son. I mean, his innocent son who'd done nothing but, you know, even humanly speaking, would have said, you know, healing and good works. He was a just person. But it's a mystery. You know, the disciples cried, why? His, fol- his followers, you know, wandered around bewildered. Now, why, how, how this could happen. But slowly God reveals that mystery to us. Slowly God shows that his will was for Christ to suffer and to die. At first it's a mystery, but now we understand that Christ had to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. That through accepting him, putting our faith and our trust in him, making him our Lord and our Savior, asking him to come into our hearts that you and I might be saved. At the time it was happening, it was a mystery. But once revealed, God's wisdom showed through. 
Mysteries may baffle us. They might even discourage us. But rest assured that God is on the throne and God is in control. My faith in Christ, my obedience to God does not hang on my understanding of putting the pieces together of what God is doing in my life. And I don't know, you know, specifically what might be going on in your life today, what situation that it might be causing you to say, God, what is, you know, what are you doing? This doesn't, this doesn't make sense. You know, I know many of us are, you know, many of you are being furloughed or, you know, potentially losing your jobs. And and you see other people at work, you know, that, 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 you know, they're not losing their job and maybe you outworked them and, you know, you know, we may not understand it, but God is in control. Now to help us in those times when the unjust triumph and, and when it really starts getting to us, Solomon gives us two verses of comfort. And I want to read them for you. First is, is verse 12. He says, although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know that it, is, it will be well for those who fear God, who fear him openly. Even though a sinner may continue to do wrong over and over and over again, and it seems like nothing happens to him, he says it is still better for those who fear God and live that way. You know, remember, he's saying here, the just will ultimately triumph. Those who have put their faith in God, those who have humbly sought him, those who have exalted him in his life, those who fear God, had that awe of God. I mean, literally, he's saying, I would rather be clear before God than clear before men. Even if it means, you know, suffering injustice in this life, I would rather suffer that injustice and be right with God than be right with men. He makes it clear in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. He says, there do, therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will, will not be no, uh, unknown. He goes on to say, he goes on to say, you know, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in heaven. I mean, that's the truth that ultimately Solomon is coming to. That ultimately, if we, if we put our faith, if we put our, our, our eyes and set on the justice and on the, the fairness in this world under the sun, we're going to be frustrated. But if we look to God, we understand in the end, ultimately, the righteous will triumph. The just will win out. And one of those, those unjust who seem to be getting all the breaks, it goes on in verse 13. And he says, but it will not be well for them, for the evil man. And he will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. I mean, ultimately, all men are going to stand before God to give an answer for their lives. Righteous, unrighteous. The difference is going to be Jesus Christ. The unrighteous man will not have their sins, having been forgiven, having been paid for, the debt paid by a loving, almighty God and Savior. And they will stand before God. And they may have received, you know, things in this life. They may have gotten away with things in this life. 
But before God, all things are laid bare. And it, <laughs> I love those words. He just says, it will not go well for them. You know, talk about an understatement to stand before an almighty God without Jesus Christ. It will not go well for them. The painful truth is that we may never see the answer to God's wisdom in working in your life, to God's wisdom in allowing circumstances into your life. And to handle this, Solomon just wants to call us back to understand, you know, and to continue to be able to trust God, to understand that, 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 that you know, these things are beyond us. Even when I don't understand, you know, I must keep my trust and my faith in God. I don't let it crumble under circumstances. So how can you handle the mysteries in your life? Whatever you're going through today, let me give you just three real quick things, kind of conclusions um, and summaries of what we've looked at here. Number one, we need to admit that, that we're only human. I'm only human. With our humanity, it comes limitations. We are finite. We are fallible. Second thing, we must admit that we will not always understand why. We can try our best. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, you know, saying, wow, what's going on and trying to figure out how they connect. I'm not saying that, but, but some things we are just never going to know. And we have to accept that. Third, we need to then, by the power of God, not, you know, let these things affect our faith. I mean, Satan wants to get a foothold. Satan wants to use all circumstances in your life to touch and hinder your relationship with God. Matter of fact, when these things, when they're unknown to us, these mysteries, I mean, we should ask God to use this lack of knowledge to deepen our faith, to draw us closer to him. Andre Crouch uh, captured this truth in a song called Through It All. Let me read the words. They're powerful. It says, I've had many tears and sorrow. I've had questions for tomorrow. There have been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong. I've been to lots of places. I've seen lots of faces. There have been times I felt so all alone. But in my lonely hours, yes, those precious lonely hours, Jesus let me know that I was his own. And I thank God for the mountains. And I thank him for the valleys. I thank him for the storms he brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God can do. Through it all, through it all, Oh, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. You know, ours is to accept our limited understanding. And then thank God that we serve a living God who knows all the mysteries that come and he allows in our Let's pray. Father God, though this is a hard truth, I thank you for it. 
and for this reminder, Lord, that you are God and I am not. And Father, sometimes I confess to you, you know, that it's easy to just be self-absorbed and to, to look at what's going on and how things are affecting just me and, and forget, Father, that you are working on so many layers. You're doing so many things that are so far beyond my understanding. I thank you, God, that in times of question, that you are there. I thank you for your peace that surpasses understanding. I thank you for that Holy Spirit that you place within us to confer with our spirit, to, to help us pray, even when we don't know the words to pray, and, and we, we're just crying out to you in feelings and emotions and, and turmoil. But your spirit, Father, that you have given us, your spirit dwells in us to calm the storm, to keep us on track. Father, help us to not grieve that spirit. Father, we love you, and I pray for my brothers and sisters right now. Lord, in varying circumstances, whether you know we're on the peak of the mountain or we're in a valley right now, that each and every one of those circumstances would be filtered through our faith and our trust in you. Thank you, in thy son's name we pray.